fakes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. It's time. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game 7 is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. you got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. And a good Monday to you. March Madness on a Monday. Can we believe this? The only time we have this is when we have the NCAA championship game the first Monday in April. But no, we've got it here as we get ready for the... Uh, advanced teams to the Sweet 16. T.C. Martin Show live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. And we are back again after a uh, thunderous weekend here at the Cosmopolitan with hoops and hops. We are back to our traditional location here in the sports book at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. The luxurious sports book powered by William Hill. It is a Monday afternoon and we've got a full slate of games today. So we thought we would bring you the madness once again here in some meaningful basketball. T.C. Martin along with Ballpark Frank. Brian Benowitz will join us a little bit later on. And Earthquake is back in the studio making it all happen. And Numchuck here live at the Cosmopolitan. And join us today, our good friend, the former UNLV running rebel. And it also does a fantastic job on the radio side as the color analyst for the UNLV basketball program, Curtis Terry. Curtis, thanks for uh, being here, my man. Thanks for having me, fellas. I'm just upset. I got to get a cool nickname. We got Ballpark Frank. Nunchuck. I mean, can I? I need something. Okay. I got to. I got to get my alter ego. It, and to fit in with you guys. You see, that's that's usually what I do. <laughs> that, that, that's on me because I gotta. As, as I do, I give everyone a nickname. So I, I got to give you a, a a very cool nickname. Okay. We'll uh, figure that out. We got time. Yeah. Yeah, you know, see, usually something comes at me right at the top. I mean, I, I thought I was sitting next to Mr. GQ over here, Reggie Theus, for a oh, minute. Oh, wow. You know what I'm saying? But that wouldn't be a nickname. That was just a, a comparison or analogy. Fair enough. He's, he's a good-looking gentleman. I'll yeah. take that. <laughs> By the way, you do have veto power if you don't like the nickname. Oh, I would hope so, right? <laughs> Yeah. Well, with we'll most sticks. with most people, with most people, we don't give them that power. But with Curtis, enough, okay. yes, we would give him the veto power. <laughs> you know. But what have I given anybody a uh, a slappy nickname though? Come me, on, me, me, you, yeah. Well, when you tried I, to call me Icebox Frank, well, yeah, that's because no, he was doing our he was doing no. our cover our hockey coverage, you know. Oh, and, okay. and I'm from See? Chicago, so he was trying to make a refrigerator reference, and that didn't work. I don't know if I was going there. That's, that's you thinking that, but you, know. you said it. I said, said it. But yes. You it. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's always bringing up the negative past. Yeah, yeah. See, we can't just say CT because then I'd get all the – got too many initials on this show Fair as enough. it is. You know what I'm saying? I thought you were going to change the name to the abbreviation show. Yeah. Saying, you know, <laughs> RVD, CBD, Double B, TC. So there it is. <laughs> I do like to call this guy the sharpshooter, man, because he was the sharpshooter back in the day. I'm sure he still has game as well, too. Oh, yeah, so. I, can, I can let it fly. I can still yeah. knock him down. My issue now is just getting up and down the court. Yeah. That thing called cardio, it, it lacks over here in these lungs these days. So it would be interesting because it would be TC with CT. There you go. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Some, something's going to hit me here pretty soon. All right. Glad to have you guys with us. Uh, had an exhausting weekend, of course, with all the March Madness. And uh, raise your hand if you are here or you are at home. You are in the audience here today. If your bracket is totally busted. There we go. Let's raise both hands. Two hands. <laughs> Yes, and we're not waving our hands and keeping them in the air and party like we just don't care. No, we are we are in, in shame because our brackets are, are destroyed. So, yeah, we will uh, dive into that today as well, too. But the NCAA, it is tournament time. It's March Madness. More upsets galore. So far, guys, in the Sweet 16, and we still got uh, a few more games left today to get to the Sweet 16. But so far, I mind you, we have a 1, a 2, a 3 seed, a 5, a 7, an 8, an 11, a 12, and a 15 in the Sweet 16. And usually the last few years, we've been accustomed to getting some of these double digits, one or two double digit seeds into the Sweet 16. But, uh, you know, so far we've got 11, 12, and 15, and we're not done yet. Craziness. Crazy. That's why they call it madness, right? This is true. Can't say. My, yeah, my bracket's been busted since the first day. I don't know which one busted it, but then I lost track of how many busted it after that. <laughs> but I think it makes it makes it more fun, though, when, when it's all these upsets in, in, the, high, in the lower ranked seeds uh, come out and, and pull that upset and get a Cinderella one. I think it just makes it more entertaining. Right. Yeah, Ohio State busted mine really early on. 
uh, with with my bracket, so they yeah. went out early. And I know so little about college basketball. I thought the Big Ten was really good, and the Pac-12 was a question mark. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Something was flipped around there. And, and, and look what's happened. What the Pac-12 the Pac has? What six teams? Three have already got into the Sweet 16, and three more in action today. They, they haven't lost yet. They're undefeated. Eight and zero. Yeah, eight and zero thus far. Didn't with, see that with, with, with the Pac-12. And uh, I am guilty. I, I thought I'd be the smart guy and say, oh, yeah, let me let me try to try to upset somebody. Let me try to get Gonzaga out of the bracket, you know, late. And I said, I think it's going to be Iowa. I mean, they played earlier in the year. It was a good game. Iowa is a much better team now than when they play back in December. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll try to, you know, pull a little shocker here. I'm thinking Iowa could do it. What happens? They couldn't get past Oregon today. And this was Oregon's first game of the tournament. Right. They came out smoking today, Curtis. Yeah, they came out on fire. And, and for me, luckily, I picked Oregon to, to beat Iowa in one of my multiple brackets. Yeah. Uh, so I I wasn't shocked there. Uh, I know they did start kind of slow, and then they were able to pick it up and kind of steamroll them there late in the second half. But I, f I figured Iowa was going to have a much stronger tournament run. Obviously, they started the season on fire, red hot. Garza couldn't be stopped. But I think that's just the situation of college basketball. Kind of as you go along, you kind of burn out a little bit. Um, especially, it's been a tough season for all these college athletes in terms of what they had to go through with COVID, um, multiple testings. I mean, three, four times a week, and then when you get to the tournament, you're doing it every day since their conference tournament. Um, but I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised to see Oregon advance this far. And I had an eye on the game and was hoping Amari Hardy, former Rebel, would get a little bit more yep. time. Yep. Only 10 minutes a day and 0 for 2 from the field. Uh, but nonetheless, what a great experience to be able to have after you didn't make the college, uh, the NCAA tournament your, pre your previous four years. Yeah, and uh, you know Hardy got into in the game very early, right. uh, you know today, and a couple of those, sh those, those shots you talked about that he missed early on seems like he got relegated to the bench after that. But uh, you know, good good to see him. And another former Rebel doing very well for Baylor, yeah. uh, JTT, right? Is yep. you know he he's been getting a lot of minutes too, and it actually was a, a factor in there in Baylor's victory yesterday. But uh, you know, going back to Iowa. You know, Frank, we brought up something, and we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, about, you know, Iowa staying in Indianapolis for their conference tournament, and we thought, hey, this could be an advantage. Mm -hmm. Now I'm starting to think maybe this is a disadvantage for this team being there for going on 10, 11 days, uh, you know, not being able to, to get out and not coming from home and that sort of thing. And, 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 and today, I mean, Oregon out-hustled Iowa. Uh, Iowa did, did not look sharp at all. It just Oregon was just two steps quicker all the time. And it just kind of hit me to them saying, I wonder if that could be a little bit of a factor. Yeah, I don't know if that's a factor. Uh, obviously, I think the Big Ten was maybe a little bit overrated. I'm one of those people that did overrate them, or maybe they're just playing bad basketball at, at, at the worst time that they could possibly do it. Maybe they were a little bit full of themselves. But uh, the Ducks, uh, you know, they're fresh. They, they've missed a lot of games, so they haven't played as many games. I think maybe that plays to their favor a little bit now. Uh, the Big Ten did beat up on each other all season long. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm trying to find out, ex you know, reasons, and it seems like they're always excuses. For, for why they are playing the way they are. I mean, Rutgers maybe was the most impressive Big Ten team up to this point. They almost won yesterday, but then they blew the game against Houston. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know what's happening, but obviously the Pac-12 came in here with a chip on their shoulder, everybody downgrading them. I heard some people say earlier in the season that they thought the Pac-12 was maybe as weak, if not weaker, than the Mountain West or something. And uh, obviously that has not been the case up to this point here. But, you know, and that's one of the things that this tournament does. It's kind of the great equalizer. And we spoke about a little bit going into this tournament with so little non-conference play this year it was going to be interesting to see what was going to happen because these teams haven't played out of conference and so far the Pac-12 has been thriving in the Big Ten they're struggling to keep anybody in there's a chance I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think Michigan's losing but with nine teams from the Big Ten going in right now there's a possibility that none of them will be in the Sweet 16 and who saw that nobody come yeah. on yeah no nobody saw that but you know going back to the Pac-12 in Oregon and I loved Oregon you know, all season long. Dana Altman's a great coach, done a fantastic job there. And, uh, you know, when they got upset by Oregon State, and we saw the slew of upsets, Oregon State, you know, upset UCLA after trailing by 16 points. We're going, okay, well, that's UCLA. We've seen them, you know, blow leads before. And But uh, then Oregon State really got my attention when they beat Oregon. Then when they, uh, you know, beat, beat Colorado in the championship game, then it's just throwing, you know, everything all over the place, you know, with it with his Pac-12. It's like, okay. Uh, but now we're seeing that, you know, all of these teams in the Pac-12 
are have been battle tested and played exceptionally well. And Oregon State again last night basically never trailed in that game against Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State was kind of a popular pick as well too. But uh, you know what I'm seeing from all these Pac-12 teams, and I think you guys hit it. I mean, it's a chip on their shoulder, but they're aggressive from the opening tip off all the way to the end, and, and they're playing with energy, they're playing uh, with hustle, and more importantly, they're playing with smarts. Yeah, and I think a lot of people aren't giving the Pac-12 enough credit, and, and they're really not expecting these teams to come in the tournament and win, mm-hmm. obviously, and I think these kids have that kind of built up inside of them and what they want to achieve on the court, and it's been fun to see. Obviously, on the West Coast, we get to see a lot of the Pac-12, not as much of the Big Ten unless it's the national games, but I, I have a, a bunch of friends that coach in college, and I have a friend that's an assistant coach in the Pac-12, and I to- talked to him last night, obviously with everything going on with the new hire at UNLV. Um, and, and the, the Oregon State game was on. He was like, how about the, how about the Beavers, man? He was like, the Pac-12 wasn't very good this year, but here we are about to run the table. Um, and he was even surprised because he scouts against it. He prepares for it. Uh, but, again, it, it wasn't across the board think that the Pac-12 was very strong. But just like you see, it doesn't matter how you start. It's how you finish. And right now the Pac-12 is coming on strong. And, and I think Bill Walton, UCLA guy, has, has projected four teams from the Pac-12 to make the Final Four. And I think there's still a shot of that happening. Um, what does he say? Conference of Champions, yeah, right? If he, if he gets that one right, I think we all we all owe Bill a drink then for yeah. sure. Yeah, and when he says Conference of Championships, he means in every sport. Right. Women's softball right. and basketball yeah, and baseball. Do, and everything. Right. I mean, Bill Walton loves that conference. Obviously, yeah. UCLA is his favorite yeah. there. But, yeah. uh, but no, I mean, they're, they're, they're performing great. And when you mentioned the Ducks earlier, we've talked about maybe one of the reasons that Mark Few will always stay at Gonzaga is because the only job that might even entertainment is going up there. But they're so solid up there. Not just the West Coast plays better basketball than people thought, but up in that northwest corner up there, they have some pretty good teams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Aside from my hometown, Washington Huskies. <laughs> this year. This well, year. I, I this said year. some pretty yeah, good some teams. Some pretty good teams. <laughs> For the last two years. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. But, again, that's the that's, uh, way it is. Uh, Oregon defeats Iowa today, 95-80. to 80. This was a high-scoring game. I, th- I thought at halftime we would uh, maybe see like a 106-105 type of game. And this thing was crazy. The pace was insane. And this was a tied game with right. a minute to go in the first half. And these teams were just exchanging buckets, exchanging threes. Not much defense was, was, was being played. But uh, it, it was incredible. Then all of a sudden, uh, you know, Oregon closed in that, in that final minute. Uh, I, I, I believe like on an 8-0 run. It was, it was something ridiculous. And then they opened up the second half and, and ended up going up by as many as 22. And they finally uh, closed the game at 95 to 80. The Ducks shoot 56% from the field, 11 for 25 from beyond the arc, 44%. Uh, the Ducks were phenomenal. And I, I feel bad. I was telling uh, Double B the other day on Sunday, he goes, okay, well, who's your lock? Because I, I talked about Syracuse on, on Saturday. I said, oh, I love the Ducks on Sunday. They're going to, you know, take care of VCU. And, of course, they got the walk over the, the, the bye. So I texted him today. I said, I told you that Oregon was a lock. Right. Just, <laughs> just uh, you know, call, uh, a day or two That's later. That's the you know? safest lock ever. Yeah, sure. right. <laughs> if you got that one wrong after they announced it, you're in trouble. <laughs> but uh, I, I do like this Oregon team. And uh, they're they're the team that I like the best in, in, in the Pac-12, but at this point in time, they're all playing great. Now, how crazy would this be? And this is can conceivably happen that they could get all six teams in the Sweet 16. They legitimately can. I mean, we look at UCLA. They're getting ready to come up here and tip off here in a couple minutes. They're playing Abilene Christian, and UCLA is, is favored to win this game. You know, they're a five-point favorite. Who knows what to expect from Abilene Christian after after the upset they pulled the the other night against Texas? I mean, they put you in that helter skelter mode. Their their aim is to turn you over. They create more turnovers than anybody else in the country, and UCLA can be a little bit careless with the basketball. So that's going to be interesting to see. Colorado plays Florida State tonight, and we've seen what the Buffaloes do, but. That is a crazy game. That's, and and that's you're always leery of Florida State because you're not sure exactly what to expect. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, they're 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 a psycho team for me, but uh, you know, again, I think they they probably match up pretty well with Florida State. So you you, you got that uh, you know going, and then we got SC tonight. Yep. You know, SC's playing Kansas. So and you it, never know what you're going to get with Kansas either. Right. They're one of those teams kind of a little bipolar. They sometimes come out and play great. There's other times they don't show up at all. Mm-hmm. Um, like the other night, they, my wife went to Eastern Washington. She played basketball at Eastern Washington. Right. Um, and so she was cheering gung-ho for the Eagles. Um, and I'm sitting there like, oh, no, no, no. I love you, but no, no. It's gonna, that's going to kill my bracket if Kansas loses. <laughs> um, but even Kansas in that first half, they kind of sleepwalked through it. In yeah. terms of they didn't know what, what Coach Shante Leggins was going to come out with his group. And they came out. Um, and the girls' brothers were lighting it up inside-outside. Mm-hmm. I think they combined right. for like 32 points in that first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what you can get anytime. And 
in, in the NCAA tournament, I think that's the beauty of it, is literally anybody can beat anybody on any given day. Right. And then the fact now that you got the pandemic and you're all kind of stuck in quarantine, it's mm-hmm. really which team can focus the most mm-hmm. and prepare and kind of compartmentalize what's mm-hmm. going on um, until they can get this win and they kind of reset going into the next weekend. Yeah, and, and USC has the distinction of being maybe the one team that Bill Walton roots against right. from that conference. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Bill Walton, conference of champions. There you go. He's, he's, he's saying it. He might be onto something there. All right, we are live at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, Curtis Terry, the former running rebel, is here today joining us. Curtis, you obviously you were on probably the last uh, UNLV team that, that went to the NCAA tournament, at least went deep. Last 2000, 2013, of course, we know uh, the Rebels went there when Dave Rice was coaching, but right. you played for Long Kruger in that uh, 2006-07 season where you guys went to the Sweet 16, and you guys won the conference tournament yeah. that year. Two years in a row. Two years, exactly. So, but a lot of times we dismiss teams right. because they get eliminated early in their conference tournament right. or maybe they lose the championship game. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people were thinking with Oregon. I thought it was kind of shocking. Here Oregon was a regular season champ in the Pac-12. They end up with a number seven seed. Speak to a little bit how, you know, we're, we're such a, you know, as I like to say to Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately right. type of society here. Right. You know, people always focus on the last thing that their eyes saw here. But uh, maybe... It's not that important, you know, to really to win your conference tournament. I mean, it's important, because, yeah. you know, as a player and as a coach, you want that, but it doesn't mean it's an end-all, be-end-all. Yeah, no, I think it depends on the group. Obviously, my mm-hmm. two years, 06, 07, 07, 08, when we ended up finishing second in conference to BYU, um, then we played them both years in a row in the conference championship game, and we were down double digits in both games, came back and win both of those. But it was a situation where the winner, you, I mean, you, we, us or BYU had to win to, to guarantee their spot. And then if you're on that bubble, you don't really know. And you, if for me, luckily, the two years that we went, we didn't have to worry about Selection mm-hmm. Sunday. It was more just go kick your feet up and see where we're going to fall. Right. But some other teams, if you, if you know your resume is good and you're going to be in, in the tournament, like Oregon, Sometimes you need that wake-up call, and you would rather get in your conference tournament as opposed to get in that first-round game because then it's win or go home. If you get punched in the face and you don't get back up, then it's over. And I think that's kind of what happened to Oregon from that sense. And then the fact that they didn't have to play that first game against VCU because of COVID, then I think they get an extra day to prepare. They kind of got to sit back and watch that film, didn't have to exert a lot of energy. But you got to give credit to Dana Altman to get his group geared up because, like you said, this was their first game. Other teams had a warm-up game. Can I can get the jitters out from, from being in the, new, in the new arena, new facility? Uh, but from there, you've got to come to play. And I think some teams, depending on if you're older, if you've got seniors, um, if you've got a team full of guys that have been to the tournament before, it's easier to adjust and adapt. Uh, but nonetheless, you got to come out to play. And clearly, the Oregon Ducks came flying high today. When it comes to being a player and you look at that, who do you look at or what do you look at as the true conference champion? Because you mentioned there's the regular season, which always used to be the conference champion. Right. Now everybody has these tournaments. The tournament is where you get the automatic bid. So which is more important? I mean, it would seem like in the big picture for the school, the tournament's kind of the more important one because that does have the automatic bid there. But, you know, it's like, has that diminished what you do in the regular season that much? or Or is it kind of a flip-flop you know it, it's it's tough me i never won a regular season conference championship but i won two conference tournament championships right. and so from that standpoint i've got two rings for that and so i appreciated it but again it depends on where your conference is and kind of what your team is built for because either you're going towards that you're going to get that at large bid because you know your, re- your resume is set up and built up to be able to get that but in our case, we had to win the conference tournament. In most teams that aren't in the Power Five conferences, that or that aren't in the Power Five conferences and at the top of their league, you got to play for that guarantee. You got to get that automatic bid because you win your tournament. And I think it just plays on your psyche different because again, BYU didn't. They won the regular season, but then they they lose that conference tournament championship. We get to celebrate. They got to move on, but I think it kills some of your spirit thinking, hey. Maybe we got disrespected a little bit, or maybe our seed doesn't fall where we think it should. But again, those things are out of your hands because my junior year, we went to the Sweet 16, we were a seven seed, um, and we got 10 seed Georgia Tech. And then my senior year, we won the conference tournament championship. Um, coming off a 30 and 7 season, we went 27 and 8 the next year mm-hmm. after losing Kevin and all those guys. Um, and we won the conference tournament, and we ended up with the eight seed. And so, lucky us, we 8 9 game is cool. We handled Kent State. <laughs> 
but then you get that one seed. Right. Just kind of like Long Kruger, Oklahoma got Gonzaga, yeah. we got Kansas. Right. And they went on to win the championship. But I think it really just depends on, again, how your team is built and how your coach motivates his teammates and his players. My years, we always had upperclassmen, older guys. And so it wasn't a matter of, oh, we've got to do this to make our egos feel good and be positive. It was more so we want to be playing the best ball at the end of the season and going in there with some momentum. Mm -hmm. And we were able to do that those two years. The first year, 06, 07, we got two wins, got mm -hmm. to the Sweet 16. And the next year, we're able to get that first one against Kent mm -hmm. State, but ran into the eventual champ, national champion Jayhawks. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just right place, right time sometimes if you get that seed. But again, you've got to have that mental wherewithal. And I think even more so than now, you throw the records out of what a team has done in the course of the season. It's about who's confident, who's healthy, who's playing together. And I think even more this year, it's a lot more of a mental game because these guys are now going to they're going to be in Indy for, I mean, damn near a month. Mm -hmm. And in some of the Big Ten teams, you say they've been there for already two weeks before that. Um, so I think it just really comes down to if you've got a mature, older team that's accountable, takes care of responsibilities. Otherwise, you can play a good one game, come out the next game and get blasted because you guys just aren't there mentally because, again, traveling with the Rebels this year, we were locked up in the hotel on the road. You can't do anything. You can't go out to get food. Um, and so you've got to be able to make sure your team is loose, uh, but also taking care of responsibilities and focused at the same time. All right. Curtis Terry, the former UNLV runner Rebel, part of the UNLV radio network right now. And we'll talk about the UNLV breaking news uh, over the weekend, of course, today with the uh, announcement that Long, rather uh, Kevin Kruger, the son of Long Kruger, named UNLV head coach. So we're going to get Curtis's thoughts on that here in just a little bit. But going back to the March Madness in the NCAA tournament. When we go back and we look at this weekend, guys, the, the first couple rounds, what was the game that, that really stood out for you? Um, we knew that we were going to have upsets, and we knew that the madness was going to be upon us, but uh, what hit you over the weekend, whether it was one game or two games or so? Well, me personally, I think Oral Roberts, what they did to Ohio State, yep. Um, and then as well as Loyola Chicago, what they did to Illinois. I mean, those two, I mean, I had both those teams going to the Final Four. Um, and that completely blew up in my face. Uh, but I think it's those kind of games to where you see, especially in Illinois, I mean, with AO and, and what they've got with Kofi inside and just the team they've got kind of built, you think they're going to make a run, a long run, just because of the style of play. And they got handled from start to finish. I mean, they really weren't even in the game. Correct. Um, AO yeah. was coming off pick and rolls and was getting doubled and it acted like he had never been double teamed before. I mean, they just played so out of character. But it's those kind of games that, I mean, wow, you're like, geez, I didn't think that was happening. But you're like, you know what? I should have known that was going to happen. It's the NCAA tournament. It's mm -hmm. always going to happen. But I, that's why I love the NCAA tournament because anybody can beat anybody. Mm -hmm. But for my bracket, it was tough because those are two teams that I thought throughout the course of the season, they were very strong. They were up, at times up and down, but I thought they had the longevity within their roster to make long runs. You know, for me it was kind of interesting because it really started almost before the tournament really started in the first playing game with Michigan State and UCLA because I thought because the Big Ten had played such competitive basketball all season long that if a game got down to crunch time that the Big Ten would be really ready for those situations. Well, Michigan State had a chance to win that game. I didn't think they executed very well at the end and UCLA found a way to win the game. Then I saw Ohio State do the same thing against the Roberts. Then I saw some other Big Ten teams that I thought were battle-tested, but I don't know if they were worn out a little bit or what the reason was, but for some reason they haven't performed like I thought they were going to. So even in the playing games, that first game with Michigan State, I thought, wow, what's going on here? The Big Ten already has one team out in the playing game, and now I've just seen it come all the way around, and now I'm questioning myself, how good is this conference? And I know that you can't take too much in a one-and-done type of tournament scenario right now, but that's what people always look at right now. So I was a little bit surprised by that. One thing that I thought would be strength for the Big Ten going into it, up to this point anyhow, has been anything but that. Right, right. right. For me, um, those games that you hit on, you know, Loyola, you know, take, take care of business again, Not it was a shock. You know, because I didn't pick Loyola either, but I just love this program. Right. And, you know, I think there's something to be said when you have that familiarity. Say, for example, Illinois facing the Michigans, Michigan States and, and Iowa and those type of teams. And then you maybe let your guard down a little bit. And then you're, you're, you have no familiarity right. with a team like Loyola Chicago, who just really... It relies on the precision of their offense and, and what they do and their and their spacing, and they just look like Illinois. Like you said, they they really were not in that game. They couldn't handle what what Porter Moser and what Illinois was was bringing them. And a lot of people thought like, okay, you you got Coburn and, and Crutwig, okay. It's like okay, well Kofi's gonna handle. You know, he's handled the bigs. He handled you know he played well, you know uh, against Garza and Iowa and these bigs before. But Crowley looked like the better player. It That's looks like Kofi Coburn was disinterested. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, he, I, numerous times on possessions, I saw him just like watching, right. watching the action, like what's going on here? And, and you can speak to this too. When you, when you get to a tournament 
and you are an underdog, right. sometimes you do play more more free. Yep. And, and, and when games get tight, uh, you know, the, the favorite ten, tends to fold. And that's exactly what we saw today and the last couple days. Yeah, I think it's a matter of sometimes you come out and play loose. Like, we've got nothing to lose, literally. Nothing to lose if we come out here and, and drop the game. But those top seeds, they're expected to win. They're expected to advance and make deep tournament runs. And I kind of saw that with Oregon State, Oklahoma State last night. Like, Oregon State came out like, it didn't matter. We're just having yeah. fun. We're just yeah. happy to be here. In the second half, they got a little tight because they were up 14 at halftime. Right. They got a little tight. Oklahoma State started to make the run. And I was telling my wife, I was like, uh-oh. Beavers are in trouble. They yeah. just looked like tight and timid, yeah. but then they were able to, to come back from that. But, again, I think it goes to the makeup of your team because you say familiarity. Within the conference season, you're used to seeing these teams either on the road or at home or in the Mountain West. You see them twice in three days. But you know what to expect. It's a dogfight back and forth. But then when you see a different style that you can't replicate in practice or in your scout mm -hmm. team, and that's what they're showing on film, you're like, oh, we think we know. But it, it hits you like a ton of bricks. You're like, wow, it's different. It's faster. They cut harder. They're more physical. Um, th these guys are a little bit more deceptively quicker athletic than we thought. You get caught off guard, and then you're unable to make those adjustments. Mm -hmm. And I think coaches make adjustments, but it's if the players can take that information, regurg I mean, take it, retain it, and then regurgitate it out to be productive on the court. Sometimes you can't make that switch of the flip, and they know, like, ah, we knew what we needed to do, but we just didn't have enough time to flip it, get all the guys on the same page to execute. And I think that's what you saw from Illinois because they were starting to make runs, then backed off, starting to make mm -hmm. runs. But I still don't think they had enough time and weren't experienced enough in those kind of situations because, again, they were mostly steamrolling everybody throughout the course of the season. Right. about with the 8-9 seed when UNLV was there. Because right. some people think the 8-9 seed, you'd be better off being a 10-11 or For even sure. a 12 because you have to play that first seed. Right. Loyola of Chicago didn't look like that bothered them at all. They knew that they'd won them. They knew the Illinois program well. And we talked earlier about having the chip on your shoulder. There's probably a lot of guys, if not almost every guy in the Loyola team, that had dreams of maybe playing for Illinois, right. being from the same state sure. there, so they know the program. So they maybe looked at it. And you mentioned Krutwig. He's a big guy, but he's like 6'9", maybe 6'10". They list him at 6'9". Mm -hmm. So he's going up against two guys bigger than him. Mm -hmm. But he didn't look at that as something like, oh, well, I mean, these guys are just bigger and stronger than me. He looked at it as a challenge. It looked Loyola looked like, to me, they went out there and were like, we're going to go out there and show why we're the best school in this state here for bragging rights and that. They weren't intimidated whatsoever, and Illinois looked like they didn't know what hit them. Yeah, yeah and it's funny because so like when my, my senior year when we won the conference tournament and we got the eight seed and we got Kent State as that nine seed, in the eight-nine game, I mean, you can go either way just like the uh, the 4-13 the game. You can It's a toss-up sometimes. Mm -hmm. And in that situation, we knew if we win, we're going to get Kansas in that next round. And we handled Kent State. I mean, we set the tournament record for fewest points um, scored in a half by an opponent. They scored 10, which was awesome. We snuffed them out. In that next game, we were coming in confident because we're playing Kansas. We're the underdog game. We got nothing to lose. And we held with them in that first half. I think we were down maybe six or seven at half, but we were comfortable. In that second half, though, kind of like you saw today with Coach Kruger's team against Gonzaga, good first half, kind of feeling okay, like we might have a shot. But then ultimately that war of attrition, they just kind of wear us down because they've got 8, 9, 10, 11 on the bench with size, speed, athleticism. In my year, our tallest guy was 6, 7, uh, Joe right. Darger, right. playing the 5 for us. And we only went 6, maybe 7 deep. And so we were like, we didn't, we didn't feel like we got just dismantled. But at the end of the game, I think we lost by like 16. But it's because, again, you just get worn down and you just don't have enough resources in your back, um, enough, enough artillery um, it, you know what I mean, at your hold to be able to fight back at them. And it was a situation where we were comfortable with what we did. It was heartbreaking that we lost. But again, we ended up losing, like, like Oklahoma probably will, to the eventual national champion. And so we kind of put that feather in our hat knowing that we were successful. But again, I think those 8-9 seeds are terrible seeds to get right. if you're the 8-9 because um, you know you got to see that one seed. Um, sometimes, like Loyola Chicago, you can knock them off. But again, a perfect storm has to come together. Um, but I think it was it was a good thing for Loyola Chicago to see Illinois because they've probably been watching them all year, right. circling it, saying we don't get to play them in the regular mm. season, but if we get them in the tournament, mm. and of course, you know, the NCAA likes, kind of likes to pit people sure. <laughs> in certain situations so that yeah. way you run into them. Mm. Um, and again, good thing for Porter Moser and his group. They were mm. able to get kind of Illinois and, and kind of uh, David Slaying mm. Goliath. And standpoint. like I tell people, hey, now, really, uh, Loyola becomes the number one seed. For sure. You knock off the number one, yeah. and, and now you're, you know, you're going to end up playing 
you know, people that maybe you do match up well uh, against. But the last thing for me uh, this weekend was, was Syracuse. And I, I, I really felt that they were going to take care of San Diego State. And the reasons we talked about last week were, you know, the Aztecs don't see that type of zone with that type of length, and they couldn't handle it. And then they get West Virginia yesterday and the same type of thing. I mean, West Virginia doesn't see much zone uh, as well either. And when you can't see – when you don't see that zone, and especially for West Virginia, you got one day to prepare for this. Right. It, that is so – tough to do and this is why we've seen Syracuse make runs in the tournament before when they may be slightly better than a 500 team in conference but Bayheim's teams are always dangerous and let's talk about Buddy Bayheim. and this is much more than the coach's son this guy not only is a great shooter but he's a floor leader he's a great player high intelligence high IQ I like this orange team yeah, and it's funny. We were sitting there watching that game last night. My wife's like, is his name really Buddy? Or, or is he like Jim Jr. that's calling Buddy? I was like, I don't know. She was like, look it up. So I Googled it. Yeah. Jackson Thomas. There you go. Exactly. Nickname Buddy yeah. Bayheim. Yeah. I was like, cool. Right, right, right. But I think the thing with that zone is it's unorthodox. It's not something that you see every game. And you say, oh, we watched it on film. It's just a 2-3. But if you think about it, they've got those long wings out there that extend out free throw line, yeah. extend it to the three-point line. And it usually starts as a 3-2, too. too. Right. It flexes yeah. back and forth. Right. And those guys are so long and athletic. Mm-hmm. And they and like just like everybody else plays man-to-man and state your principles, this is what they do all day, every day in practice. Exactly. They play this zone. Yeah. And so it's not your your typical zone in which you're try, going to try to attack in terms of getting a guy to the high post and getting a guy short corner because they stretch everybody out so far. You've got to kind of play behind it, and you've got to have some movement, some motion, some misdirection. And I think with San Diego State, I thought the Aztecs, I mean, they were better than what they showed against Syracuse on the course of the season, yeah. obviously much better. I thought they would be able to shoot the ball a little bit better than what they did. But I think it's a matter of you start to take some threes, you maybe hit one or two, but then that's what's open every time, and you feel like you got to force them. And I think they only made two out of 40 threes or something like that yeah. in the course of the game. I mean, right. disastrous numbers from the outside. But a situation where you kind of – it's fool's gold. You think, yeah, it's open, but it's not. And then that's what they want you to take. And they were playing so bad offensively that their defense then suffered for it because they were thinking about what we got to do offensively next time down, and they weren't taking care of typical responsibilities on defense. Because San Diego State, year in and year out, on the course of every season, they're a tough, gritty, hard-nosed defensive team, and they were anything but that against the Syracuse team, who at times, their offense has been, I mean, here or there, sometimes non-existent. So it's always interesting, especially going against Coach Jim Boeheim. I mean, you you hate when you see Syracuse doing good, but you like to see at the same time. It's kind of that that love-hate relationship. But nonetheless, they're moving on like nobody really expected them to. You know how many threes that San Diego State put up in that game? I guess they attempted 40. Yeah, 40. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a stat like and that. They made what they made? Yeah, Two 11. They made 11. I mean, they ended up making 11. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I think that was late. I think they made like three exactly. or four in like that's the last two and a half yeah. minutes. But uh, that, that's a stat you, do, you normally don't see. I mean, no. teams, see teams that maybe put up in, in maybe, you know, 20 to, to 25, 26, 27 on a high note, you know. But never, uh, yeah, yeah, never 40. 40 unless you're yeah. James, a James Harden-led team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> An old ASU team, huh? All right. We are live at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas on this Monday, March Madness. We will get you up to date with the, uh, the results. Uh, Gonzaga defeated Oklahoma, a long Kruger's team. So the Zags advance on a little bit scary earlier in that game, but uh, the Zags end up uh, winning that game uh, going away and a cover on the point spread as well, too. So we'll talk about that. We'll preview the games coming up a little bit later. When we come back, we will talk to Curtis Terry, our special guest here today at the Cosmopolitan, about the UNLV hire of his former teammate Kevin Kruger. We'll hit that and a whole lot more live from the Cosmopolitan. It is the T.C. Martin Show, the madness upon us. Wait a second. Wait a second. Now, more from your favorite sports radio physician, Aha. the doctor, T.C. Martin. Aha. Live from the Cosmopolitan on this Monday. That's right, all day Monday. It's like a holiday, you know? We started on Friday with the NCAA tournament, rolled over to Saturday with uh, the opening round, round number two. Yesterday and today, you got to love it. Live from the Cosmopolitan, it is the T.C. Martin Show. Yours truly, Ballpark Frank and Curtis Terry, the former runner rebel, join us. All right, don't forget, get the William Hill mobile app as well, too. If you're betting on these games, uh, you have to have the mobile app, plain and simple. And it is really good to have the in-game wagering option, especially during March Madness as well, too. you got plenty of opportunity to, uh, to find some hidden gems in there as well, too. How do you do it? Very, very simple. First, got to download the, map, uh, the app on your phone, and then when you deposit money into your account, go to any William Hill Sportsbook property, the Cosmopolitan here of Las Vegas, or anywhere, any of the kiosks that are all around town in Las Vegas, the William Hill mobile app. Deposit at least $50. 
They'll match it with an additional 50. Use the promo code TC50. Do that, and they will give you an additional $50 into your brand-new account. So take advantage of that. TC50 is the promo code. It is the William Hill mobile app. All right, guys, let's get everybody updated again on what is happening on the court. Earlier today, like we said, Oregon takes care of Iowa 95-80. to 80. The Ducks advance on. They continue that dominant pack uh, 12 run thus far. Gonzaga, the number one overall seed, take care of Oklahoma 87-71. to 71. And currently right now, UCLA and Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian coming off of that upset special against Texas the other night as uh, the 14-seeded Abilene Christian beat the number three-seeded Texas Longhorns, and they trail UCLA, the 11th seed right now, and UCLA playing their third game in the tournament thus far as they opened up against Michigan State, and they were successful again on Saturday. The Bruins lead Abilene Christian 19-12. Next game up, Ohio and Creighton. They'll tip it off at 310. Creighton Blue Jays, a five-and-a-half-point favorite, the total 149. That's a battle of the five uh, against the 13. And then a 4-10, very interesting matchup. The very athletic LSU team who uh, blew out St. Bonaventure over the weekend takes on the number one seed, Michigan. Michigan at four-and-a-half point choice, total 147-and-a-half. Colorado, Florida State, a game virtually a pick em. Right now, Florida State is a point-and-a-half favorite, total 140. That's a battle of the four-and-five seeds. Then you have Maryland and Alabama. Alabama, the number two seed. They're a six-point favorite, total 139 in that game. And then uh, the final game on the docket tonight, USC and Kansas. Uh, Rock Chalk, Jayhawk, they are getting the point. They're an underdog as a number three seed, SC, the sixth seed, a one-point favorite, the total 135. So we'll keep you updated on all the action here today. Uh, at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas. We invite you to come on out. We're in the sports book today, our traditional Friday home here on a Monday, and we'll be here throughout the course of the tournament as well, too, so make sure you come on out, uh, say hello, and uh, watch the games. No better environment than the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas and the William Hill Sportsbook here. All right, Curtis Terry joins us. Uh, Curtis, let's talk a little UNLV because uh, we've been talking a lot about UNLV over the last week or so when T.J. Otzelberger uh, took the job at Iowa State. And uh, we've had some conversations. You know, we didn't want to be premature about, okay, who are the candidates and all that sort of thing uh, due to the respect. And uh, it did not take Desiree Reed Francois uh, long to, to make a choice here. And we kind of talked about it last week. Kevin Kruger, one of the uh, Rebels' own, is, is hired today officially. He's 37 years old. He's been an assistant for the past seven seasons, from 2014 to 2016. He was at Northern Arizona, and then uh, he was at Oklahoma with his dad, Long Kruger, from t- uh, 2016 to 2019. In the last two years, an assistant here under T.J. Otzelberger at UNLV, a former uh, teammate of yours uh, on the Rebels. What are your thoughts when you heard Kevin Kruger get the nod? Uh, obviously, I was excited. I think that's probably an understatement. Um, I'll be honest, there were some tears that came to my eyes just because of the, the excitement for Kevin mm-hmm. um, and for this opportunity. Um, and, and with it being Kevin, I know that how much he's going to put into this job to make it so that the Rebels are successful moving forward as a program. And there's nothing that makes my heart happier uh, than, when the, than when the Rebels are doing good and obviously when friends are doing good as well. Um, so, yeah, just extremely excited for him uh, to, to get this opportunity. And, again, we all nobody thought it was going to go this fast. And I think we talked last talked on Wednesday. And then here we are Sunday late afternoon, and, and it's getting announced that he's got the job. So I think it moved quicker than people expected. But nonetheless, we've, we've got a, a running Rebel at the helm for the running Rebels. It doesn't seem like they did a, a much of a national search here. And when they hired T.J. Otzelberger, they, they wanted to make sure they did that. And with the previous Rebel coaches. Uh, but uh, I had talked to Randy Bennett earlier today, and there were rumors that, that they had talked to Randy Bennett and a couple others. Randy said never got a phone call. Didn't get uh, a conversation, but he did have a conversation, you know, a couple of years ago right. when they, um, uh, you know, offered the job to T.J. Altsberger. So to me, uh, it seemed like it was an in-house uh, decision, which I have no problem with right. because I think, you know, it, at this stage, Kevin Kruger does not have any head coaching experience, but he is a rebel, right. and uh, at this point in time, with all of the things that have gone on with the UNLV program from a coaching standpoint. I mean, this is the sixth coach in the last 10 years. Basically, they actually uh, literally hired five, uh, you know, in, in the last six years. Mm-hmm. We throw in the Mick Cronins and the Chris Beards and, and that sort of thing. And I know a lot of people will say, well, is he really a, a, a sexy hire, so to speak? And, and, and he's really not. Uh, 
any concerns that you have, uh, and you know this, you know, Kevin very, very well. Uh, again, you, you go way back with him. This is something that he says he's born to do. Obviously, as you know, being around his dad and being an assistant and, and being around basketball his entire life, he kind of figured at some point in time he was going to be a head coach. Now at the age of 37, he gets his dream job. Yeah, and I, and I think to the point about the, the national search and kind of how fast they did and kind of kept it in-house, it was just two years ago that you went through that national search and you got a lot of potential candidates. And I'm sure that Desiree and her staff kind of kept all those notes. And it's only it was only less than two years ago. So when you look at it, you really just got to kind of update a couple things because I would assume that you probably always kind of have a short list in the back of your mind or in your back pocket for that rainy day when you do have to make another hire because, um, God forbid, something like this may come up or happen so you're not caught off guard. But I think it was a situation where I know that they they interviewed to some degree a, a number of different candidates um, for the position. And I always was from a standpoint of personally, I didn't think we needed the flashy name. If it was the Rick Patino or the John Beeline, I didn't think you need a big flashy name to come in here and fix things because all I think that was going to do was was pull the cloth over people's eyes and be a distraction because, mm -hmm. oh, we've got Rick Patino, we've got this coach, and they're going to sell tickets. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you're fixing things. And with those coaches, always what's going to happen is they're gonna eventually going to move on. Mm -hmm. And then so from that standpoint, I think it was, it was a situation where they didn't need to do that. They needed to find someone that was going to be committed, that was going to be here for the long haul and be able to put this team back together the way it needed to be, but also knew about the history and tradition of the program, knew about the ties from the community to this Runner Rebel program and kind of what it means to everybody in this city. Uh, but then from there, also that somebody that wasn't going to use this as a pit stop to fuel up, you get the credit or get the resume back looking right and take off to the next spot because that's what it's been as of late ever since Coach Rice left. And I think that Kevin fits the script for being that guy where he said this is his dream job. And he's identified with Las Vegas ever since he came here because when his dad started coaching here in 2004, Kevin would come from Arizona State to UNLV and play pickup with us in the summer times, and this was home for him. I mean, when you're in your 20s, early 20s, and you go home for college, you're going here. This is where he grew up. This is where he had a lot of fun. Even when he got done playing, he played professionally. He still lived here. Um, this has always been home for him because, again, Growing up, they bounced around a lot because his dad was always on the move as coaching. And so I think he has a, got a big tie to this city, this community. And Kevin's not, in my opinion, I don't think Kevin's going to be the guy to have success after four or five years and go somewhere else because where else would he go that is home? I think that is this. Obviously, I think the success that his dad was able to have here as a coach and that we are able to have as players underneath his dad is something he wants to replicate, not just in terms of from a coaching standpoint, but for the young men that are going to be in his program because the impact that Coach Kruger had on me and all the other guys that played here from 04 to 2011, I mean, it's immeasurable what he did and what he meant for us and what we were able to provide to the community. And then in return, what the community has been able to provide to us in terms of opportunities as adults. Once you're a running rebel, you're always a running rebel. And I think bringing Kevin back into the fold, we're starting to get that sense of unity and family back in this program. And I think that's a big part of what's been missing. You bring up a great point about going back home because that's exactly how they lost Chris Beard and TJ Altsberger because of those jobs they felt so comfortable with because they were there prior. And that was going back home. And that was the term that both those guys used as well, too. So I think that's an excellent point. You know, Curtis, you touched on a lot of stuff there. Some of it is stuff that I wanted to bring up myself. But... A couple of things that you mentioned there with the going back home, with the fact that he grew up here. And I know some people are saying, well, he hasn't been a head coach before. But Kevin Kruger has been a coach in basketball from following his father, right. from being around these programs, from when you played with him. He was a coach on the court. He knew that kind of stuff. He's been an assistant for a while. He mentioned that he was born to do this job. So although he may not have been a head coach officially, he's really been a coach and been groomed to be a coach forever. And I think the most important thing that you mentioned is that he's not going to use this as a stepping stone. He's not going, well, I'm going to go to UNLV and where, what's my five-year plan down the road after UNLV or something like that. I think all those things are crucial. And it kind of seemed to me, which, because I know some people are thinking that this hire was made really quick, but I'm not sure that it was that quick because it seems to me that once TJ mentioned he was going to go, that they already had something kind of going and, and, and an idea where they were going to go. Kevin was already here. He was easy to talk to. They might have interviewed some other people, but it kind of seems like this might have been their number one choice right off the bat. Yeah, and, and I think from the standpoint of when TJ first got the job and asked Kevin to come, I think Kevin had mentioned to me, like, the only reason I was going there with TJ is because it was, it was UNLV. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he has respect for TJ um, in terms of what TJ's done as a basketball coach and, and the relationship that TJ had with Lawn. But Kevin said, w I leave Oklahoma for what? For UNLV. 
So he, he left the Power 5 school to come to UNLV to be an assistant um, because it was UNLV, because it has a special meaning to his heart. And I think that in the back of my mind, I think that eventually TJ was going to make another transition to a Big 12 school, to Iowa State. And I think it was in the cards for Kevin to ultimately get that look. Now, I think it happened much quicker than people expected. But Kevin's been an assistant coach at the Division I level for seven seasons. Two years at NAU under Jack Murphy. Three years at Oklahoma under Lon Kruger. Two years here at UNLV under TJ Otzelberger. Spent a year as a graduate assistant at Oklahoma under his dad. But before that, like you mentioned, Ballpark, I mean, he grew up on the bench of Division I college programs. He went to the Final Four with Florida when his dad was the coach. I mean, how much more experience do you need in terms of being within that than the kid that grows up in those locker rooms since he's a little boy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been around it. He's seen it. He played college basketball at, at uh, Arizona State, was an all-Pac-12 performer, was an all-Mountain West performer here at UNLV, took us to the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. Now he doesn't have the resume as head coach, but let's be real. The only way you get that opportunity is by someone giving you that first job, and it's not like you gave it to Kevin one year as an assistant coming out and you say, hey, we're going to give it to you. Right. That would be a little delusional, a little crazy, but I think it was well-earned and well-respected in terms of what he's done who he is and his makeup as a person, as a coach, because he's well-respected, not just with the UNLV locker room and within the Las Vegas community, but in terms of he's been in these young men's homes and these families' homes recruiting for the last seven years, and he's built a relationship with these people to where he's recruited kids to go to the to the Big 12, to the Oklahoma, to the Pac, to Power 5 schools. He can do the same thing here. And again, within this community on the West Coast, he's got a lot of respect because of what he did as a player and now what he's going to do as a coach. And again, the one thing I know about not just Kevin but the Krugers is nobody outworks them right. no matter what they do it's almost maniacal and I think that's what UNLV needs from someone that's one of their own to put their all into it and the only way you're going to get Kevin out of here is if I mean obviously if he kicks the bucket or if you have to pull him out because he does such a bad job but I don't th- see any way that Kevin does not succeed in this position if he's given the time to do so what special attributes and you named a few already that you think that he will bring to this job and I think a lot of people are very very curious about you know what type of system he is going to run and what type of athletes that he's going to try to recruit here you know what, what pops in my mind about Kevin is just work um, his work ethic is, is the best bar, bar none and he's going to come in here and he talked about in his press conference this morning in terms of he wants guys that to come in here and be basketball players that first of all want to be a part of this and want to build something special have a chip on their shoulder are going to be invested in this program and in this community but also he wants to help build young men and that's the big thing to me that stood out about coach Kruger coach Kruger wants us to be successful not just on the court but off the court and he's always been there for us even when coach Lou Hill passed away back in February I called Coach Kruger, and I didn't expect him to answer. I thought I was going to have to leave a voicemail. He answers on the second ring. Hey, Kurt, how's it going? And it just makes you feel good because people like that don't come along very often, and he genuinely cares. And I last played for Coach Kruger 13 years ago. And so the fact that that's kind of what Kevin comes from, Kevin is a people person. Me and Kevin have been friends dating back to, I mean, like 2000 when his dad took over the Hawks. And my brother Jason played for the Atlanta Hawks, and that's when I first met Kevin. And we've been friends. Now, even distance come and goes, but Kevin's a good person. Kevin cares about people. He comes from a good household, and he wants to be able to replicate that to other families and other young men because that's all he saw growing up was his dad helping young men achieve their dreams academically and athletically. I mean, and it was always a kind of a running joke of not if, if Kevin's going to be a coach, it's when Kevin's going to be a coach because does he want to do it? If so, it's just when he decides to put his, his hat in that ring, and he did so seven years ago, and it was just a matter of who's going to give him his first opportunity, and I think no better place than here at the UNLV running Rebels. You know, one of the other interesting things, too, when I think of Kevin Kruger, I think of really good basketball players as being players that make the, their teammates better by yeah. being on the court, and he did that as a player. And so you would think that that's going to transist as a coach as well because he knows somebody's skill set. He knows how to set them up for success. There's an old saying, set people up for success, not failure. Right. So it seems like he has all that going for him, knowing exactly what to do, what a player can do, what they can't do, where to put him in the right place. He knew it as a guard on the court. It seems like as a head coach, it's almost a no-brainer that he's going to have that initiative and that knowledge of where to put people and how to recruit a team that's a true team. We see all these upsets in the tournament this year from lower seeds. They might not have all the household names in that. Mm -hmm. They might not have as much superstar or great athletes, but they know how to play team basketball. And it seems like Kevin Kruger is really good at knowing that. Yeah, and I think Kevin's that guy because Kevin's not the biggest guy, not the most athletic guy, not the quickest or the highest jumper. Very smart, very intelligent from his basketball mind. And obviously he gained that from being around his dad. But I think the work that Kevin's going to put in and had to put in as a player, and not only that, as a point guard, he was able to rally our group, and he was only with us at UNLV for one season. 
he came in that one year and the year before I believe we were 17 and 15 so we go from 17 and 15 to 30 and 7 now give it got to give Kevin his credit but he was able to jump into that mix to identify personalities and skill sets and to be able to rally us troops and lead us as a point guard. And it was never of he wanted to step on toes. He just wanted to fit in. The first time he called me when he decided he was going to transfer, he told his dad, like, I got to check with the guys to see if it's cool. And he called me. I'm like, Kev, what's up? It was the summer um, in 2006. I was like, yeah, where are we going to play pickup? He was like, yeah, we are, but uh, I wanted to talk to you. I'm, I'm going to come over there and join you guys. I was like, well, yeah, come join us. Pickups yeah. this afternoon. He's, no, no, I'm going to transfer. Is that okay with you? I was like, what? Yes. <laughs> For sure. And I knew instantly that was going to impact me because I was going to have to sacrifice because of the position I was in playing a guard. But who in the right mind would not want an all Pac-12 guy like that, someone selfless that you played pickup with to come and join your team? And he says, I just want to be a part of what you guys got because I think it can be special. I just want to fit in. And it was never about him. It was always about the team. And he was able to pull together all those personalities. And we were able to do something very special in a short amount of time. And so people think it's, it's never going to happen. It's going to take a long time. All it takes is one guy or two or three guys to gel and to find that spark. And that's why I say Kevin's going to have success. It could be next year. It could be three years from now. But Kevin's the kind of guy who's been in that situation to know how to inject himself and to make a change very subtly, but have confidence and then push confidence on the others so that way they can achieve their dreams and goals. And there's no better guy than Kevin to do it because he did it as a player. I'd be crazy to think that he can't do that as a coach because he's done it in the hardest spot as a player. And now he can use his experience to share it with others to kind of get them to rally and get on the same page. You know, he's been on the show a few times, uh, you know, when he when he came back here as an assistant head coach. And um, I think the big question is, you know, we don't know him uh, like you know him. And uh, he seems like a very kind of a soft-spoken guy. He's yeah. a very passionate guy, though. Yep. But what kind of personality yeah. do you think that he is going to bring uh, to the court, and let's remember, and again, this is the first time he's been a head coach, and there's a lot of other, you know, responsibilities that come with that. you got to deal with compliance issues. you got to be a leader of men. You've got to be a teacher. You've got to be all this. Uh, how does he fit into that, and what type of personality are fans going to see and players going to see with him on the bench? I think that's the easiest question you guys have asked me or I've been asked over the last 24 hours. <laughs> what you guys saw, what people saw is Kevin on the court in that UNLV jersey wearing number two. Yeah. That's what you're going to get from Kevin as a coach. Yeah. He's going to be passionate. He's going to be fired. He's going to have that scowl on his face, and he's going to demand excellence of himself and of others. So he's going to be like his dad. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and Not one, as good looking, though. Right, right. <laughs> and one other big advantage he has, and, and I don't think that people should overlook this, because he's from Vegas and because he's been here so long, he knows when he goes into a kid's house what to sell in right. Vegas and what to say against him. Yeah. When other coaches are telling them why not to go there, right. he can dispel those rumors and say, look, I've been around Vegas for 20 years of my life or right. whatever. Mm -hmm. I know the city. This is the real deal. Yeah, and I think it's going to be easy for Kevin to sell kids um, on, and not sell them, but share with them his experience on why they should be a runner rebel based on his experience because he said again in his press conference, that feeling that you get, and you guys probably can relate to this, when you go into Thomas and Mac and there's 15,000, 16,000 people in there, it's packed. They've got the fight song playing. They roll out the red carpet. They set off the fireworks. There is something different about the vibe in that building when that team is playing well. And Kevin said he wants to replicate that because he wants his wife and he wants his daughter to feel that special feeling that he feels about UNLV when they go to games because there's something about it that's why I came back. I mean, there's guys that still in the community. We all talk to each other. We're all communicating, and we're like, hey, we've got one of our own, and now we're ready to get this thing back, and nobody thinks that Kevin can't do it. We all just are excited for him, want to be a part of it because it's going to be so special. But again, Kevin has lived it and has done it, and so it's not trying to sell a pipe dream of this is what we could do or what it might be. This mm. is what it's going to be because I've done it. I lived it. Now, if you want to be a part of it, jump on because it's going to be a fun ride. All right. Kevin Kruger hired as UNLV head coach. He'll be joining us here uh, this week as well, too. We'll get a chance to talk with him again. I personally like the hire. I always love it when, when, you, when you bring back one of your own. Yeah. And I know a lot of people will say, you know, they'll, they'll look at the negative. But where the UNLV program is right now, anyway, I said it last week. I think this is a, 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 a great fit for UNLV. So uh, we'll talk more about that on the other side as well, too. But it is March Madness. We are live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. We will start breaking down tonight's action as well, too. Double B, Brian Benowitz is going to be joining us. Matthew Holt will be joining us as well, too, as we start looking at some winners for tonight and looking ahead to the Sweet 16. We are live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. It is the T.C. Martin Show. Don't you dare go anywhere.